Well, I hope you have your Bibles this morning. I'd love you to join me in Matthew chapter number 2. Matthew chapter 2, we're continuing a series of messages that I've entitled Behold, and today we're talking about the pilgrimage of Christmas. Behold, the pilgrimage of Christmas, Matthew chapter number 2. While you're finding your place in Matthew chapter 2, I don't know if you heard the story about a redneck couple that lived way out in the woods. Uh, they didn't have a television. They didn't listen to radio. Uh, they didn't uh, go to town much. Uh, they, they just stayed to themselves. And uh, David, what happened one day is the dad said, you know what I'd like to do? I want to carry my, my kids somewhere really nice. So he said, told the family, he said, we're going to go to New York City. So he saved up his money, and he took his wife and children, loaded them all up, and drove them to New York City, and they were absolutely flabbergasted. They could not believe all the tall high-rises. They couldn't believe all the lights. I mean, they, they just, it was a land that they'd never seen before. But there was one thing in particular they were absolutely intrigued by. It was elevators. They couldn't believe it. Those boys would stand there, and they were looking at the elevator, and this one little old lady came up to an elevator and pushed the call button, and sure enough, the walls opened up. That little old lady took a little walker and got in there and pushed a button, and the walls closed. A few minutes later, the walls opened back up, and out walked a 24-year-old beautiful lady. And boys looked at that thing, and they looked up at their daddy, and they said, Daddy, what in the world just happened? And the daddy looked down at them boys and said, I don't know, but go get your mama. <laughs> All right, we're not going to New York City, but let's go to Jerusalem. Matthew chapter number 2. Here, let's look at what the Bible says about the Magi's visit. If you're able to stand, would you please stand as we honor the reading of God's Word? Notice what verse 1 says and following. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold... There came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that's born king of the Jews? For we've seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Now let me say something parenthetically, if I could, right here real quick. The word troubled there means greatly disturbed. He was so disturbed that he began to put pressure on everybody that was around. He was absolutely aggravated with the news that had just come to him. And the Bible says that all Jerusalem was troubled with him because he was wreaking havoc all over the place. Verse number 4. The Bible says, And when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together and demanded of them where Christ should be born, and they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he said to them, uh, and he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. For when ye have found him, bring me word that I may come and worship him also. And let me stop right there and say something parenthetically. In verse number 8, it's very obvious that the stars disappeared. Because uh, he says, go and you search for him diligently. Because he ain't here in this, in this uh, throne or in this uh, uh, palace. Uh, verse number 9. And when they had heard the king, they departed. And lo, there's a, ver a little word calling our attention. The star which they saw in the east, went before them. There it is again. Till it came and stood over where the young child was. 
When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. You may be seated this morning. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. Here in this passage of scripture, in this text, we see the pilgrimage of the wise men as they looked and searched for the Messiah. This journey is no doubt, according to verse number one, that was started, they started this journey in the east. Verse 1 and 2 gives us that insight. Some of the most reputable Bible scholars believe that these men came from Mesopotamia. That is, more than likely, they came out of the ancient city of Babylon. Uh, If uh, that were the region by which they came out of, this men, and there's no reason why to argue why they didn't, these men would would have had access to the Jewish scriptures. And having access to the Jewish scriptures, they would have uh, learned about the coming Messiah from the Jews that were taken captive and taken into Babylon. And they were there for several decades. And many even stayed, when the children of Israel went back to Israel, there were many that stayed in Babylon, and they continued to serve the Lord, continued to serve God, continued to read the scriptures, continued to teach about the Messiah. Uh, We know that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were there. Uh, We find them in ancient Babylon. We know also that David uh, wrote plenty, or excuse me, Daniel wrote plenty about the coming of the Lord living in Babylon. The prophet Ezekiel penned his book while he was living there in uh, Babylon. Several of the Psalms we know were also written by the exiles that were living there in Babylon. So as a result of this, these learned men, these men of astrology, if you would, would have known prophecy. They would have been able to study prophecy. They would have been able to see what the Jews were talking about. And there's no doubt that they studied Numbers chapter 24, verse 17, which says, There shall come a star out of Jacob. Uh, They were searching for a star. They were looking for a star. They knew a star was coming. And so this teaches us that these men, if you would, were on a spiritual journey. They were on a pilgrimage to find the Messiah. Someone is listening to this message today and you're on a spiritual pilgrimage. And the path that you're on will lead you to Jesus. It's the same path, the exact path, if you will, that these wise men were on. This morning, I want you to notice two things about this narrative that I find very fascinating. Number one, the first thing I want you to notice is found in verses 1 through 11. In verses 1 through 11, we see that this pilgrimage was a pilgrimage of worship. It was a pilgrimage of worship. Uh, These wise men tell King Herod in verse number 2 that their desire is to find this young king and worship him. Isn't it amazing when you read this narrative and you see these men, these magi, these wise men, these astrologers that come out of the heathen uh, land had enough insight to recognize the glory of the one of whom they were looking for called the Messiah. And while here we are 2,000 years later and we have all this evidence that's in front of us, we know that Jesus lived, we know that Jesus died, we know that Jesus is not in the grave, we know that he rose again on the third day, we have all of this insight and yet we're still incapable of seeing Jesus who he really is. 
I want you to notice with me this morning, I want you to notice how they worship Jesus today. Number one, the first thing I want you to see is they worshiped him with purpose. They worshiped him with purpose. Anytime we come together to worship Jesus, we ought to worship him with purpose. There ought to be a purpose inside of us by which we worship Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. There is no doubt that these wise men may have remembered Micah chapter 5, verse 2, for they were making their way towards Bethlehem. There's no doubt that they would have understood Isaiah 7, 14, knowing that the Messiah would be born of a virgin. This was much more than just a primary king that they were looking for. They were in search of the Messiah. And they were following the star. And we find here in this passage of scripture, we find in six, in six different areas, we find this pilgrimage of purpose. So what do you mean? Let me show them to you if I could. Look at verse number one. The Bible says, now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judah, in the days of Herod, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. Now, if you have your pen, pencil, lipstick, mascara, highlighter, whatever you're taking notes with this morning, I would mark in my Bible in verse number one the term, Behold, there came. Behold, there came. Why? Because that is in giving to us a wonderful, beautiful picture of an intentional arrival at an undesignated location on their way to a desired destination. Where did they desire to go? They desired to go where the Messiah was. They desired to go where Jesus was. But they had this intentional arrival. There's a reason why they arrived at King Herod's palace. Why did they arrive at this undesignated location? They arrived there so that they could announce to Herod that there's somebody greater than him. There's somebody by which we worship and it's not the king that sits on the throne. It's King Jesus that's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The Bible says that their worship was intentional. They came. Number one. Number two. Let me show you a second thing. Verse two. Notice what the scripture says. He says, the Bible says, and they came. Uh, where is, and they said, where is he that's born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east. I'd underline that. I'd underline that phrase, have seen. Why would you underline that, preacher? I'll tell you the reason why. It's because it is a verb that is communicating to you and I a past intentional study of a star that was viewed over and over and over again. When they read uh, Numbers chapter 24, and they read that about the star, they began to cast their eye towards the east and say, you see it yet? No, do you see it yet? No. Let's go check tonight. You see it yet? No, not yet. And then all of a sudden, boom, there it was. There it is. There's the star. They've seen it over and over and over and over again. I get a lot of flack uh, being a southern boy from Alabama because I use seen when I should have said saw, and I use saw when I should have said seen. I clearly understand that it's not good grammar, but I'm just going to be honest with you. I'd rather hear a preacher say he's seen something when he really seen something than to say he saw something didn't see anything at all. I mean, I'm just telling you. And I'm going to be honest with you, it looks to me like these fellas right here, they must have been southerners as well, because they seen the star. Bless God, they seen it night after night after night after night, and the Bible says that they had a purpose, they were going to worship King Jesus. Let me show you a second thing, or excuse me, a third thing out of verse 2. Not only does he say, for we have seen his star in the east, let me underline this if I could, and, there's the conjunction, are come to worship him. Notice how all these are in the past tense. 
Why? Because there was a purpose in while they were coming. It's an intentional verb that pictures an arrival of the Magi from a, destined, from a, dis, a distant land on a mission, on a purpose to worship King Jesus. Can I ask you a question? What's the purpose? Why are you here? Uh, what's the purpose? Why did you come to church today? So, bless God, I wanted to fellowship with each other. Well, that's good. I'm glad you wanted to do that. But if you came just for fellowship, you came for the wrong reasons. Say, well, I, I wanted to come because I just wanted to hear what that preacher had to say. I heard he spits and slobbers every now and then. He sounds like a wind sucker. I mean, he's just absolutely something else. I, he can spit four rows back. I've seen it with my own eyes. Well, bless God, if you come only to see me get excited about Jesus, you've come for the wrong reason. I can't help but who I am. But I'm here to tell you, I'm telling you what. Let me tell you why I come to church. I come to worship Jesus. I've come to cast my heart and cast my eye upon the Lord and say, Lord, is there anything between me and thee? Is there anything I need to get right with you? I want to worship you in spirit. I want to worship you in truth. I've come with a purpose. And so did these magi. They came with a purpose. Look at verse number 11. He goes on. Let me show you another thing. The Bible tells us there in verse number 11, says, And when they were come into the house, they saw. They saw. Here's another one. It's an indication that they never stopped looking. It's an intentional focus, if you would, on one thing that's constant. They were continually looking for Jesus. And when they saw the young child, the Bible says next, they fell down. You see it there in verse 11? They fell down. I didn't blind that. Why? Because it's a conscious action. That is caused one of planning. They thought about it. They, uh, in part, were wanted to be a, a part of this intentionally. They fell down on their journey. And then the Bible says that they worshiped. That is, they gave honor and praise to the one that's worthy of honor and praise. Dear friend, there's only one in this room that's worthy of honor and praise, and that's King Jesus. Isn't it amazing that in our society that we'll worship all kinds of things except the one true thing we need to be worshiping? In our society, the wisest among us are not the scholars or the scientists or certainly not the leaders of this world. No, the wisest people among us are those, young and old, who are willing to forsake it all and forsake everything else and simply fall down at the feet of Jesus and worship King Jesus as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. One of the greatest and most sacred duties we can perform to the Lord on a Sunday morning is simply to worship Him and sing praise to Him and glorify the name of Jesus. Dear friend, I don't know uh, when the wise men came, if they fully understood whom they were coming to see. They may have come thinking that they were just going to see king, but I'm telling you, they left worshiping King Jesus. The Bible says that when they came, they worshiped him. They fell down and worshiped him. They recognized who he was when they saw him. That day, they worshiped Jesus, the Son of God, for who he is. Who is Jesus? He's the lily of the valley. He's the bright morning star. He's the Lion of Judah. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the first and the last. He's the beginning and the end. He's the keeper of creation. He's the architect of the universe. He's the manager of all time. He always was, he always is, and he always will be. He's unmoved, he's unchanged, he's undefeated, and he's never undone. He was bruised but brought healing. He was pierced and eased pain. He was persecuted and brought freedom. He was dead and brought life.
life. He was risen and brought power. He reigns and brings peace. The world can't understand him. The armies can't defeat him. Schools can't explain him. And leaders can't ignore him. Herod couldn't kill him. The Pharisees couldn't confuse him. The people couldn't hold him. And Nero couldn't crush him. Hitler couldn't silence him. New Age can't replace him. Oprah Winfrey can't explain him. He's life. He's love. He's longevity. He's the Lord. He is goodness. He is kindness. He is gentleness. He is God. He is holy. He is righteous. He is mighty. He is powerful. He is pure. He's always right. He's the word of God. He's eternal. His rules never change. And he's got me on his mind. He is my redeemer. He is my savior. He is my God. He is my priest. He is my joy. He is my Lord. He is my comforter. He is my all in all. He rules my life. And I worship him with purpose this morning because I love my King Jesus. We ought to worship him with purpose. They worshiped him with purpose. Dear friend, let's worship God with purpose. Here we are in 2018. It's coming to a close real fast. May we go ahead and set our hearts and minds that on 20, in 2019, we're going to be purposeful when we worship God. They worshiped him with purpose. Well, let me show you a second thing. Not only did they worship him with purpose, but they also worshiped him with praise. Look at what the Bible says in verse 10. The Bible says, when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. Now, this is a power-packed verse. And the reason why it's power-packed is because we see that this verse flows with their praise. We see here how the flow of their praise began. Number one, the first thing I want you to notice here is a focused study. They had a focused study. Uh, Look again at verse number 10. The Bible says, when they saw. That's what I'd underline. When they saw. What's he referring to here? He's referring to the fact that when they got there to Jerusalem and they were there and there Herod was in his palace and the star had disappeared. Where did the star go? We don't know. Well, let's go to the only place we know to go to. Let's go to the, to, to the, uh, to the palace. So they went to the palace. They got an ear of the king. They got all this gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Here's this caravan. They're coming to worship the king. And uh, Herod's there. And he says, well, hey, I'm glad you guys are here. Oh, we ain't here to see you. No, we, we've been watching the sky. We've been watching for the Messiah. And we saw his star in the east. And it brought us this far. And now all of a sudden it's disappeared. I don't know why it's disappeared, but it's disappeared. I'm going to tell you why it disappeared. God wanted to use these wise men to tell Herod that he wasn't the king of the universe. That Jesus Christ was the king of the universe. In fact, that he's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. And so the Bible says there that they had this focused study that the stars disappeared. But watch this. The Bible says when. That word when is a beautiful conjunction that's pointing to a past action. That word when points to the fact that over and over again, night after night, the uh, wise men, the magi, would look up into the eastern sky and say, You see it yet? No. Do you see it yet? No, I don't see it yet. Do you see it yet? Maybe tomorrow. Well, let's just keep looking. Dear friend, there's a great, great principle to be learned here from these magi. When you don't think you can find your way, when you don't think God's listening, when you don't think there's a way being pointed unto you, you just keep looking in the Word of God. Don't you give up. Don't you stop reading. Don't you stop praying. Don't you start, stop believing. Don't you stop having faith. You continue to trust God. I promise He'll come right on time. He won't come when you think you should come, but He'll always come right on time. So he says, the Bible says we see here a focused study. When? They saw. That word saw there is in the, it's a, what's called for, in Bible studies, it's called the second aorist tense. It's like a past tense verb uh, there. 
uh, just simply saying that they were faithful in their seeing. They continued to do this. Uh, they did it night after night after night. And I want you to notice who did it. The Bible says they did it. It was the Magi. It was their responsibility. They're the ones that participated in this study. And let me show you a second thing. Not only do you see, if you will, in this text, a focused study, but you also see a familiar star. Hey. Don't, don't run past this. Look at verse number 10. The Bible says, when they saw the star. Now, we think about the star, but we forget to put the article with the star. What do you mean, Pastor? Look at what the Bible says. If you got your pens, I got it underlined in red in my Bible. The star. Not just any star, but the star. Which star? The star that they were looking at before. Uh, the star that had their attention all those nights before as they traveled night after night in their journey. The star that disappeared, but now it's back again. The Bible says that this familiar star came back into play. There it is. You've accomplished the task by which I wanted you to. You announced to Herod that the Messiah is born. Now get back at it, boys. I'll show you where he's at. Hey. A familiar star. But then let me show you a third thing. We see also a fantastic shout. I love this passage. He says that they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. Bless God, it's one thing just to be rejoicing. But when you rejoice with exceeding great joy, that's a whole other thing coming. Hey. So what do you mean? Oh, let me show you something here in the text. I love this. The word rejoice there means to shout. That's right. To shout. I mean, it's to just, I mean, you just get beside yourself and you can't help it. Say, whoa. <laughs> in this case, what happened was they saw that star and they went, whoa. You ever get that? Man, I, I tell you what thrills my heart as your pastor. What thrills my heart is when you bring your Bibles to church and when I get up here and I ask, does anybody in here love Jesus? And my star, some of you can't help yourself. Some of you, get, you throw your Bible in there. You say, woo, yeah, amen, glory to God. And you just get with it. I'm telling you what, it's exciting. In fact, I'm so beside myself right now, I'm just going to have to ask, is there anybody in here that loves Jesus? Amen. Bless God, that's a living demonstration right there, a living demonstration of what happened to these magi. Look! Oh, there it is. He says that they rejoiced. They shouted. But watch this. <laughs> this is, gets good. It gets gooder and gooder. He says not only did they rejoice, but they rejoiced with exceeding. The word exceeding there in the text means a grandeur. It means to gradually build up. It's gradually building up to something great. But what's funny about this term, it's also uh, associated with violence. Now, it's not violence in the negative. It's violence in the positive. Uh, let me say, show you what I mean, Dr. Goodrow. What I'm talking about here is several, several months ago, I was sitting there uh, at the stadium uh, because my, my partner in crime sitting right back here, Big D, he was uh, or, uh, Double D. Double D, um, his daughter was in the hospital, so he wouldn't come to the football games. So I, I just kind of sat wherever because I missed you. And so I, just, I usually sit by him, and he helps contain me because I can, you know, he's a big feller, and I can punch on him, and we're all good. Well, I'm sitting there with somebody I don't know. My wife's on one side, and I got some folks. I don't know where I'm. I mean, I'm just glad to be there. And I'm seeing this beautiful play develop from the, our Commerce Tigers. Oh, it was so pretty as you please. And then all of a sudden, I, I said, oh, he's going to score. Oh, he's going to score. He's going to score. And all of a sudden, I, my right and left hand are doing things that I don't know, I, and I can't control. And I'm pushing my wife on one side, and this poor guy in front of me, I'm pushing on him. And I go, 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 go. And I'm jumping up and I'm patting him on the shoulder. Do you see it? Do you see it? Do you see it? Do you see it? And Miriam says, honey, you, you've got to stop hitting that guy in front of you. Hey. So I fell under conviction. I leaned over and I said, sir, I, I, I'm sorry. I, I just got a little bit excited. I, I'm sorry. And he turned to me and said, are you Shane Robertson? <laughs> I said, yes, sir. 
He said, we've been visiting the church. We really like it. And I said, oh, I'm so glad. I'm so glad you came. And I'm so glad you visited. And I'm so glad. When are you going to join? You want to join right now? You want to join right now? Just have an altar call. I tell you what, I'll go down near the field and we'll just let everybody come. It'll just be like a crusade. It'll just be one. And we just laughed and had a good time. But here's the point. I couldn't contain myself. Hey. It was to the point where I, I began to push people. I was so excited. Uh, the illustration here is, is this exceedingly uh, uh, rejoicing was building in its character. It's building in its nature. I can see them out there as they walked out of the palace. They walk out of the palace. And as they get, get out the door, they look up and go, Oh, look, 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 look. There it is, there it is. And they hit everybody. Around. Do you see it? Do you see it? There's the star. I'm going to tell you what. Bless God, if we'd get that excited about Jesus, I'm telling you, there'd be some things happening. Hey, right. Now watch this. He doesn't stop there. It's not over. It's not over. He says, with exceeding great. You see that word great? It's another word. The word great there is the Greek word mega. It's where we get our word loud. So it's growing, not only violently with their actions, but with their words. There it is! There it is! There it is! And then he says, with joy. The word joy there is no doubt something that happens inside that you can't contain on the outside. I can see him jumping around going, there it is, there it is, there's the star, let's go, let's go see the Messiah. They worshipped him with praise. They worshipped him with purpose. Now watch this, here's the last one. They worshipped him with presence. Look at what the Bible says in verse 11. And when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. When these men came to the Lord, they could not help but present him their own personal gifts. Now, I want you to take note of this. Look in your Bibles once again. The Bible says there in the latter part of verse 11, they presented him gifts. But before he says that, look, jump back up to the conjunction. Let me start there. In the, and, you see that conjunction and in verse 11? When they had opened their treasures. Here they're speaking of a personal treasure by which they have accumulated. They didn't take this treasure from their king. No, these wise men had collected their own treasures in anticipating giving to King Jesus. And the Bible says that they gave them gold, gave him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They gave him gold to present Jesus as the king, the priest, or the, the, the prince king, the prince of peace. It's a fitting gift to give to the prince, to Jesus. Why? Because it's a gift for kings. It is a fitting gift because gold is always appropriate for a king. It's a foretelling gift because it tells us in advance that Jesus will rule and reign. But it's also a foreordained gift because God had already determined how he was going to take care of Jesus and Mary and Joseph as Herod would come down hard on them and try to kill the Messiah. The Bible tells us there that they used, if you would, they used that money the gold that was given to them to get out and to get back. Uh, we find that in other countries all around the world, when you approach a king, you approach a king with a gift. 
Many years ago, I was in Ghana, Africa, and I had the task of going into the uh, bush, into the distant, faraway places, no electricity, nothing. And I had to go into these uh, tribes, and each tribe had a king. And uh, I was instructed very personally how I was to approach a king. You just don't approach a king and go, hey, dude, lay it there. Give me some skin. That's not how you do it. I mean, if you want to get your hand cut off, that's probably a good way to do it. But I, didn't, I wanted to come back with all my digits. And so I said, well, tell me, how do you approach a king? And they said, well, you approach a king very simple. David, come up here just a minute. Let me, let me show you how if David was a, a king. Y'all don't laugh at that. But if David was a king in Africa, this is how I'd approach it. So you over the tribe, you stand right there, brother. And here's how you do it. You approach the king, and you don't look him in the eye, first of all. But he's watching every move you make. And the closer you get to the king, the lower you get to the ground. And you get all the way down to the ground to his feet, and you look at his feet, and you clap your hands like this right here. And you keep clapping until he reaches down. <laughs> until he reaches down. Grab my arm. Until he reaches down, and he picks you up. And then he looks you in the eye. And then you can address the king. That's how you do it in, in Ghana. It was fascinating to me. Thank you, David. What a great illustration. Y'all give David a hand. He did so wonderful. That's how you approach a king in, in Ghana. And once you approach that king and you give him that offering of praise and, and he, get, he lifts you up and you're able to talk to him. Man, all, then all of a sudden, I did my teaching. We had people saved. Man, it was a great, great time of ministry there in some of those places. Then they wanted to give me gifts. And so the king would go and he'd get the best that he had. and He would bring them to me for coming and bringing the word of God and preaching the word of God. And he'd give me like, I got a bag of peanuts. Uh, and then I got a, a duck. I got a chicken. I got all kind of stuff I couldn't bring home. Somewhere in Ghana, Africa, there's a, little, little, uh, a litter of uh, 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 ducks that are mine. Uh, that my translator's taking care of. I gave them to him because I said, well, you just have them. He said, no, 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 they're yours. No, yeah, no you, you, I promise. I probably may not ever see again. You, you, you take those. But what a joy it was to be able to minister in that capacity as gifts were exchanged. Well, here we find these magi giving Jesus gifts, the gift of gold, the gift of a king. Number two, he says that he also gave them frankincense. These magi gave Jesus frankincense, which uh, presents Jesus as the priest. If you study the word frankincense, you'll discover that it was a priestly gift. It was used for worship in the temple. It was a sacrifice that was given, offered up to God, a sweet-smelling fragrance. You can buy this today in just about every store you go to now and put it in your diffuser and smell it. I mean, it uh, is quite interesting. But they used it here for the priest in the temple in Bible days. Did you know the book of Hebrews says that Jesus is a better priest? He's a better priest than any priest on this planet. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us that his priesthood is permanent. Can I show you something real quick? I, I would love for you to join me in your Bibles over in Hebrews chapter number 7. In Hebrews chapter 7 in verse 17, I want you to see what the Bible says about Jesus' priesthood. In Hebrews chapter 7, verse number 17, the Bible says, For he testifieth. Thou art a priest forever before, after the order of Melchizedek. Now, I don't have time to go in the order of Melchizedek, but what I do want to point out is the length of his priesthood. It says, Thou art a priest forever. 
Jesus is forever the high priest. His priesthood is permanent. Let me show you something else. His priesthood is also powerful. Uh, find Hebrews chapter 9. And look at verse number 11. Just a few verses over. Hebrews chapter 9, verse number 11. But Christ, being come a high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us, for if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling and the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, whom through the eternal spirit uh, offer himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serving the living God. We see here that the blood of Jesus Christ and his priesthood is powerful his priesthood is permanent let me show you another thing his priesthood also procures us entrance into his very presence turn if you will just a few verses or a few chapters over to Hebrews chapter 4 let me show you this Hebrews chapter 4 verse number 15 and following Uh, in particular 15 and 16 he says there let's look at verse 14 let's just go up just one more seeing then uh, Hebrews 4 14 seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavenlies, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our profession. For we have an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings, or which can't, excuse me, with, which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Here we find that we could enter into the very Holy of Holies because of the priesthood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. What we're finding out here in this text is simply this. You don't have to go through a priest to get to Jesus. You can come to him right now. You can come to him just as you are. You don't have to come by religion. You don't have to come by baptism. You don't have to come by sacraments. You don't have to come by way of confirmation you just have to come come to Jesus Jesus paid the price he did everything that he can do everything that he will do in order for you to get to heaven heard the story about a grandpa was driving down the road with his grandson as they were traveling one hot summer day a hornet got into the cab of the truck he could tell his grandson was quite nervous Wiggling around, scared that that hornet was going to sting him. So the grandfather waited, and finally that hornet landed on the dashboard. And that grandfather took his big, rugged old hands, and he reached down, and he grabbed that hornet, and he held that hornet in his hand. And he rolled the window down, and he threw that hornet out the window. And as he did so, the grandchild looked up at his grandfather and said, Papa, did you catch it? The grandfather said, Yeah, I did, son. The child said, Papa, did he sting you? And the grandfather said, yes, son, he did. And the little child said, Papa, why did you catch that hornet? And Papa looked at his son. He said, I took the sting so you didn't have to. Oh, dear friend, listen to me very carefully. Jesus once and for all took the sting of death away on Calvary's cross so that you and I could have eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord.
And when these magi came to worship Jesus, the child that was with his mother Mary, notice that they didn't worship Mary. They worshiped the child. They worshiped King Jesus. When you see these men, you say, well, you know what, Pastor? I can't give him any gold. I can't give him any frankincense. I, I can't give him any myrrh. Dear friend, I'm going to tell you what you can give Jesus today. You can give him your heart. You can give him yourself. You can give him who you are. When you look at these uh, magi that came and worshipped Jesus on that day, I want you to see, they first, they gave simply. They presented what they had. And the first thing that they had was themselves. The Bible says they fell down at Jesus. They gave simply. They gave sacrificially. The Bible says they gave their gifts. And then we know that they gave of themselves. They worshipped the Savior. They worshipped Him with presence. They worshipped Him with praise. They worshipped Him with purpose. It was a pilgrimage of worship. But let me show you a second thing, and I'm done after this. This, uh, I'll close out this sermon. The second thing I want you to notice is found in verse number 12. Not only do you have here in this narrative a pilgrimage of worship, but you also have a pilgrimage of warning. A pilgrimage of warning. Let's look at it together. Look at what the Bible says in verse 12. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country. Here we find a pilgrimage of warning. There are three things I want you to notice. The first thing is I want you to notice the source of their warning. The source of the warning. The source of their warning was none other than God himself. Look at it. It's there in the text. He says, I'm being warned of God. I'm going to tell you what today. God's still warning us today. He's warning us today that if you die without Jesus, if you die without the Son of God, if you die without the way, the truth, and the life, you will go to hell. Luke chapter 16, verse 19 through through 31 tells us an amazing story, a real life, true story on what happened to a rich man and a poor man. A rich man, the Bible says, who had everything that he could ever want for on this earth, died and went to hell. While a poor man that ate the crumbs off a table and believed God and trusted God and had faith in God, says the Bible, he died and he ended up in Abraham's bosom, which is a New Testament way of saying, if you will, that he's in heaven. And so here's this man that's poor and in heaven and here's this rich man that's in hell he was occupied with pride and the Bible says he looked up into heaven and he said father Abraham have mercy upon my soul have mercy on me I'm tormented by this flame just dip your finger into some water let me have those drops on my tongue I'm dying down here and what did Abraham say can't do it it's a great gulf between me and you I can't get there and you can't get here. Oh, Father Abraham, the rich man said, I've got five brothers. Would you send Lazarus? Just send him over. Just let it, if they hear from somebody from the dead, they will not want to come to this place. And watch this. God uses Luke chapter 16 to send a warning out through the ages. Abraham simply says they have the law. And the prophets. What is he saying there? They have the Bible and the preachers. If they won't listen to them, they won't listen to one that comes back from the dead. God's always warning. 
You know, we get insight from all kinds of sources today. We get insight from Facebook. Bless God, it's got to be true if it's on Facebook. <laughs> we, we get insights from magazines, news outlets, Dr. Phil, Wall Street. Oprah didn't got so big, she got her own uh, TV channel. Good night. She got her own soup. I, I saw my star. She's even influencing food. I mean, we get insight from all different kinds of places. But dear friend, I'm going to tell you this. If you want to get insight for salvation, why on earth would you want to go anywhere but this right here? This gives us insight for salvation. We see the source of the warning. Number two, we see the substance of the warning. What's the substance? I've got to hurry. I'm out of time. Notice verse 12 in closing. He says that uh, they should not return to Herod. You see it there. There's the substance of the warning. Don't go back to Herod, boys. Don't do it. It's a trick. And then I want you to notice the last part. The submission to the warning. Verse 12. The Bible says they departed to their own country another way. The Magi showed obedience to God in an act of free will as believers as they obeyed the call of God on their lives. They simply exercised a verse that had yet to be written. Acts chapter 5, verse 29. It is better to obey God rather than man. You see, these men came to worship the king of Israel. But they left worshiping the king of kings. You see, when you truly look into the face of Jesus... You don't just see a little baby. You see the Son of God. And when you see the Son of God and realize the Messiahship of Jesus, how that He came to this world to go to Calvary, to die for our sins, and to rise up the third day so that we might have eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Behold, the pilgrimage of Christmas. Let's bow for prayer. What kind of journey are you on? What pilgrimage are you on today, sir? Ma'am, you're on a journey. Dear friend, today it's led you to Jesus. Can I ask you a question, dear friend? If you were to die today, if you were to die right now, would you go to heaven or would you go to hell? You might say, oh, preacher, I hope I'd go to heaven. Or, or you might say, preacher, I think I'd go to heaven. Or, or you might say, oh, preacher, I'd go to hell. Can I just tell you, the Bible says you don't have to think. and You don't have to know or you don't have to hope. The Bible says, dear friend, listen to me, you can know. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13 says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. Dear friend, if the Bible says you can know you have eternal life by believing in the name of the Son of God, then I want to know, how do I believe on the name of the Son of God? And the Bible tells us, dear friend, listen, if you want to be saved this morning, if you want to be saved, 
In order to believe on the name of the Son of God, according to the book of Romans, chapter 10, the Bible says you've got to confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. I'm talking about faith. I'm not talking about prayer. I'm talking about faith. You have got to, by faith, trust Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord. Say, so how might I do that? Could I help you, friend? You've got a room full of born-again children of God that are praying that you'd give your heart to Jesus Christ this morning. And if you want to be saved from your heart to God's heart, would you cry out to the Lord? Would you say something like this to the Lord? Would you say, Lord Jesus? That's right, just to, from your heart to God's heart. Say, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I believe that you died on the cross for my sin. And this morning I ask you to forgive me of my sin. This morning, I repent of my sin. And this morning, I trust Jesus Christ as Savior. Thank you for saving me. I will live for you. In Jesus' name.